0: Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, it's the Reset Rebel, coming to you every day.
1: Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule, and today we are sitting in the sunny, beautiful serene realms of Santilalia on the beach right next to the showers which feels like a very apt place to begin washing it all off and seeing uh, what rains down on through the course of uh, today's conversation. I'm sitting next to um, a very old friend of mine and mindset coach, um, Elizabeth Walker, also known as the Empowerment Warrior. And I'm very happy to be having this conversation because I think there's quite a lot um, that we're going to be able to share to get this year off as we have done through the last few episodes in a very wonderful way. Um, So, Elizabeth, welcome to the Reset Rebel podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Jo. It's a pleasure to be here with you on this sunny day. Now, before we get serious, I think it's definitely worth disclosing that uh, we're kind of having this conversation under a
0: a cloud. (laughs) Under a cloud. Not that there are any actual clouds in the sky today. No, there are no clouds, but we have a a guest a few metres down who is creating a cloud of his own. (laughs) (laughs) I just looked over a short week while ago and I was like, hmm, I'm going to smell something a little bit funny. It was a a bit sweet, spicy. And um, it's given us the giggles, really, hasn't it, already? (laughs) (laughs)
1: I think by the end of this conversation, we're both going to be sort of uh, a little bit giggly.
0: (laughs) Highest kites.
1: (laughs) Exactly. There's a gentleman, I think, um, having a lovely afternoon off because it's sort of almost lunch. It's just just sort of approaching Spanish lunchtime. So it's quite quite early, I guess, to be... uh, Indulging in such activity on on a Tuesday lunchtime, but you know, I think, you know, why not? It's five o'clock somewhere.
0: I do love that phrase. It's a good one. I do like five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) It's definitely worked for me uh, over the last few years, I have to say. My gran was good. At six o'clock, she always had a gin and vermouth, and no matter where you were, it's almost like her internal clock knew when six o'clock was coming up. I remember breaking down on holiday once in Normandy with my dad and my gran and my sister. We'd broken down at the bottom of the hill. The house we were staying in was at the top. And my dad looked around and went, oh, where's your grandmother? And she was halfway up the hill. And we looked at the clock and it was two minutes to six. <laughs> she was off for a move. Sod the rest of us.
1: You've got to have your priorities in this lifetime.
0: Like, I'm not sitting around waiting for that tow truck to come, my love. Or the old, uh, what do they call them over here? A grua isn't it a gruer to come and pick you up we wait for hours for a gruer here though you need to have patience that's a good exercise in mindfulness and meditation <laughs> breaking down in spain and waiting for the gruer to arrive it's such a grim
1: term though i don't like that word gruer it's like not only is it very very horrible to have broken down you're gonna have to sit there and wait for about three hours but that just that word all automatically instills mild trauma in my mind
0: it's gruesome isn't it it's it's the start of gruesome and yeah, it is a gruesome experience. It always it reminds me of Mr. Grew from Despicable Me" and <laughs> his long nose <laughs> sitting there waiting for someone with a long hooked nose to come and pick me up <laughs> Off the side of a road somewhere.
1: The last time actually that experience uh, occurred was uh, on the way back from Salinas and I happened to have gone to the free car park and bumped the bottom of my car and my oil tank had exploded unbeknownst to me and then I was driving back on the dual carriageway and obviously the car went bang, actually the engine completely exploded with no oil, it seized. And I actually had just been for a swim and decided not to put my clothes back on because basically I was just gonna hop in my car and drive home.
0: So you're naked sitting waiting for the up to turn up. If you'd have told them they'd have turned up much faster. <laughs> The worst part of it all
1: was that I was actually I had to get out of the car to try and sort of flag somebody down to help me push the car up the hill because it was sort of one of those side um, side turnings. And actually, the police came along and did me for not having a triangle.
0: You did uh, me for not having any clothes on.
1: <laughs> well, I did manage to find a bikini in the back of the car, so I sort of threw on some bottoms, but and I wrapped a sort of sarong around my top half. But I was. Pretty much half naked, and actually, the fact that this guy fined me, or he was about to find me, like a big fine because I didn't have the triangle to put out to warn other motorists there was a car broken down. But actually, when he found out I was a yoga teacher, and I think the fact that I was
0: he didn't give me that big fine after all. So, I'm used to uh, not wearing very much, then, and I think it would be for that. They do have that little bit of lenience sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. It's I, rare, Elizabeth. It's very rare. I once paid 102 euros for six eggs due to a drive-by. I got fined for not having my seatbelt on because it had slipped an inch over my shoulder and wasn't on my shoulder. It was over my arm instead. Most expensive omelette we've had ever. <laughs> my favourite one actually come to think of
1: it was when I pulled out of Hippocentrowness and I just I was starving it was almost lunchtime I pulled out a carrot from the back seat in the shopping took a mighty you know chomp off the end of this carrot and I'd pulled out without my seatbelt on so I was in the process of chomping on a carrot and pulling the seatbelt across my lap and a motorbike came out of nowhere I was like pull over pull over pull over like the Gestapo and I was absolutely pulling myself and with the fright of the motorcyclist peering out of nowhere, I started to choke really badly on this carrot. And he was like, get out of the car, get out of the car, get out of the car. So I got out of the car, but I couldn't breathe. And I was trying to explain that I had a carrot lodged in my throat, but he wasn't, he wasn't having any of it. <laughs> and I just, I was all, basically, I had tears streaming down my face. I couldn't get any air. And it also, I was very shocked that he was being, you know, quite um, forthright. And I didn't really know what to do. So I was
0: just like trying to explain. Um, like, well, yeah. Have you been having an attack or a heart attack or some sort of fit or something? They're just going to stand there and shout at you rather than help and check. I just couldn't figure out the word for carrot, which was, of course, zanahoria
1: in Spanish. You
0: able to say that at the time with a bit of it jammed down the back of your throat. (laughs) 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 Zanahu, Zanex, Zanex. Give you Zanex, so
1: you'd have ended up in the back of the bike. Well, anything could have happened. I could have had a quick nap on the back seat. (laughs) But uh, unfortunately, yeah, that didn't end terribly well, and that was that was another couple of hundred quid for not wearing a seatbelt on the on the
0: motorway, and having a carrot basically We're stuck and lodged. To eat, are we? We're not allowed to eat in the car, or drink, or put your feet out the window. Eighty euros for putting your feet out the window, apparently. <laughs> Your hand I believe is okay. I don't That'll teach you to relax. (laughs) Yeah. And imagine if it's the driver. (laughs) So I'm just having a little you know. It's a bit hard, but yeah.
1: I mean, we've all had a little uh, run in with the authorities at some point um, in Ibiza. And I think, you know, people move here because they want that sense of of freedom. They want to, you know, many conversations I've been having recently, not just for the podcast, but in general, are about people that have moved here because they want to escape the restrictions at at the moment. We won't say that word, by the way, it's banned on this podcast. But, you know, restrictions in their own country because they feel like it's going to be less bad in this island that's known for freedom and uh, and hedonism what are your thoughts on
0: that um that it's a dream you're <laughs> looking for something that doesn't exist <laughs> i mean wherever you go it's going to have its ups and its downs there's always going to be positives and negatives isn't it yeah you come here there are certain leniencies you can get away with things maybe that you can't in the uk but In the UK, you're not going to get fined 200 quid for having your seatbelt an inch off your shoulder or choking on a carrot. Um, Trying to fill out paperwork is simple. So you've just, for me, it's always been a compromise. I stay somewhere until the pros, the cons outweigh the pros, really. That's the right way, yeah, if the cons outweigh the pros. And then maybe it's time to look for somewhere else. We change in life, though, don't we? We always change what we value, what we want. But I think you find your freedom from within. I think people come here and they are doing something different. They're not living the same life that they were before. They're not commuting in the same way. They're not having to deal with the same traffic on the same roads. And that gives them suddenly an opportunity to do things differently, to approach things differently. You could do that at home. It's harder. Mm. But, um, yeah... The sun, sun makes everything better. The sun makes e- everything easier. You don't need to be sitting around inside. You know, you can get out, you can walk in the, in the sun, have the fresh air on your face year round. And I don't care what anyone says, the sun makes everything better, even the shit that comes along with it.
1: Well, I mean, we're sitting here, you know, jacketless on the sand in Santa Hidalia Beach, and it's only, you know, like quarter to one-ish. And there's a guy over there, is he naked? Has he got pants on? He's got pants on. He's got pants on. Okay, that's good. Yeah, there's a man actually in the sea and that guy over there, yeah. Is is having a little spliff and he's in you know, he's kind of sprawled out in a heap. And I think, you know, it is it is that time of year where it, well, yesterday was officially blue Monday, apparently, which is like you know that day in January where apparently you hit the skids with the January blues, but it was so funny because I walked into the co-working where i um where I work in um in Santa Catrudes and it was just like. Yeah, I've never felt, I mean, everyone was talking about it. And it was like, you know, I actually felt completely high as a kite. just come from a yoga class. I'd been studying a couple of hours of Spanish that morning. Like, I got up early and before yoga to do my studying. And I was like, I'm feeling really motivated and really inspired this January. And, yeah, because the sun is obviously, it hasn't stopped shining. And I think you're right. It doesn't really matter, like, what trials and tribulations you face. Like, when the sun is out there, it does make things are just a hell of a lot easier to cope with
0: yeah it does it's a smile isn't it it's that um, for me it's about being I don't mind being in the sun I can go out it's cold but if the sun's on your face whether or not it's the energy maybe it's an energy thing you know that that solar energy that comes off that just completely refreshes you re-energises you in meditation we think about a golden light don't we coming down from source and moving through our body threading through our cells and and Clearing everything out, giving everything energy—that's that's the golden light. And then when you're sitting under it, and warm, and to me, everything kind of falls away. It's but the troubles still there. I don't know how to describe this. Off, the, you know, just sort of like this. But so the troubles are all still there, and the troubles are always, always going to be there. If there's if there's stuff going on there's stuff going on, you can't escape from it but when you're not having to battle through rain or snow or sort of crowds of people to get through that and when you can have those moments where you can connect maybe to your higher power, to source, to, to God, whatever it is, through sitting in nature through looking at the sea, through sitting under the sun that's where we all get our inner strength from Because I wanted to ask you, what is the difference this year to other Januaries? Why tomorrow, why not tomorrow, why yesterday did you wake up with so much motivation and energy? What, What do you feel is different to previous years?
1: Last January, I think things were quite different in terms of the situation that we're in. So things felt a bit bleaker and a bit darker. But normally in January, I think I map out a load of stuff for myself that I'm going to achieve. And basically by week one, I've I've already, I've not, <laughs> I've not done any of it. And I I feel a bit flat about the fact that I've not done what I thought I would like to have done. And that has uh, taken the wind out of my cells. But this January, some for some reason... I'm on fire and I've d- I've been doing exactly what I said I was going to do and um, I'm feeling really good about that. And, yeah, I think when you commit to, you know, making goals in that January period, which I try not to do, I realise that that wasn't actually making me that happy and I, I don't believe in the resolutions necessarily but I think having some goals for the year ahead is important to have, you know, at least a few little targets to try and reach. Um, and for me, all the things that I kind of, yeah thought that I would set about doing um, are already happening without much effort actually I've, I feel pretty like they're all rolling and I've never been able to do any of those things before I don't know, I, I feel like a big heavy curtain has kind of lifted off of, off of my shoulders at the beginning of this year and um, yeah, life feels a little bit lighter
0: somehow that's fantastic. Life should be like. It's interesting though that you say that because I was reading an article recently that said without resolutions people are less likely to achieve their goals and about 50% will give up after 6 months completely that the resolution can really help people stick to it. But I wonder if it I'd love to know what your sort of like your goals for this year are. Like I think the way we set goals and the goals we set ourselves are really what are going to dictate whether or not we succeed or how well we do in in achieving them or sticking to them because if we set goals that we've been setting for years like i'm going to lose 10 pounds or i'm going to stop drinking all year they're not realistic well i'm going to lose 10 pounds they are realistic but if you've tried those goals before and you've not succeeded then the mind you've already got a belief that it's not possible so maybe the goals, you know, talking about you specifically at this point, the goals you've set this year, you actually, firstly, you're more connected to them. There's more purpose. There's more reason as to why you you want to do them. But also, they seem achievable. They There is a part of you that believes or that, that you can fulfill them. It's not too hard. The things that stop us are the fact that we think it's going to be too hard or that we think we're going to fail. And I mean, the other thing is, is actually fear of success. And I was I posted about this today, is that we have as much fear of success as we do of failure, but it, we act and we treat it like it's an instinctive fear. Fear of height stops us from falling or it stops us from drowning or, or being burnt. They keep us safe and alive. But the fear of failure, the fear of success, the fear of being something different, it's not instinctive that this is one that comes from the way our minds are programmed to think the way not the way our minds are programmed the way we've programmed our minds to think with previous experience with past years I mean I'm the same this year I've achieved more in the last two weeks two and a half weeks than I think in six months of last year but from making my goals really small um not major i've got you know, the, the goals that i want i'd like to achieve by the end of the year but my goals are broken down into right so for january this is what i want to do and it, i it's a book by a guy called i can't say this without laughing bj Fogg. <laughs> i'm sorry bj Fogg. i'm sure you're lovely you're really intelligent but i can't you know, my name does make me laugh um small small steps uh tiny habits is and it's about taking off these bite-sized bite bite-size, um chunks of everything um, how do you eat an elephant one mouthful at a time there are so many ways of saying this why anyone wants to eat an elephant I do not know but when we can yeah when we can see see and feel what our goal is going to be know that it's it is possible for us see anytime we've tried it before not as failure but as practice and not hold it ourselves to so much um, such a high bar really because that's at the end of it is the only people we're trying to satisfy are ourselves and we're the ones that hold ourselves to such high levels of standards that most of us are incapable of achieving those.
1: What does BJ say about the elephant?
0: He doesn't actually say about the elephant. That's another coach of mine whose who's way of explaining this is, um, yeah, how do you eat an elephant with small bites? How does the mouse eat an elephant in small bites? BJ Fogg... Uh, he, I think we should just call him BJ. BJ. I, I'm loving just that. Stick, stick to BJ. BJ, <laughs> so his, his his thoughts are not his thoughts, are, his practice, his theory is, is that we break everything down. There's a There's a sweet spot between... Being easy enough to do, and wanting to do it, and that's where action starts. And most of us set goals that are either too hard for us to do straight away, or don't bring us the results we want fast enough. And when we're there, we don't we don't we're not inspired, we're not motivated to walk. Oh, is he moving? Sorry, I thought I saw him lighting up again, but no, he's just having a reposition. <laughs> <laughs> so it's if you want to run 10 kilometers you don't go out on your first day and go right I'm going to run 10 kilometers if you did you'd never run again but his way of doing it would be you start off with your tiny action your tiny action is putting your trainers on every day if you do that you celebrate you you give yourself a on the pack and you celebrate for being for doing that and most of us can put our shoes on that's simple enough <laughs> on a good day. On a good day, yes. The, the theory, you know, from there, it's that thing of once you've started, you just keep the, the momentum started. but And you you build it up. Maybe the next week it's to run to the end of the road and back. And you, you put your shoes on. You can do that. But just keep it really small and celebrate massively when you do actually achieve it. So for me, it was getting up at five o'clock, even on the 3rd of January when my girls didn't have to go to school and there was no reason for me to get up but I still got up at 5 o'clock because that's what I want to do and I know that's what works for me and then I celebrated it I celebrated doing that and I've done that you know, every day since and I've woken up, I've done my meditation straight away I've done my reading, my 20 minutes of you know, study diet because what we put in in the morning is so important and then done the hardest thing on my to-do list At 5 o'clock do you say, well it's 5 o'clock somewhere is that how you celebrate yeah I'm going to actually I haven't been but I am going to in future not with a gin and vermouth maybe a, a small espresso you're a wild woman Elizabeth oh I know so rock and roll I mean my rock and roll New Year's Eve is I was so excited was about cleaning my house having a bath and getting into clean sheets I was just thrilled at the idea of my New Year's Eve being this and how was that it was fantastic Absolutely amazing. I went I went yeah the house was spotless. I went and had a beautiful bath, you know, gorgeous bath, some candles, some bath bombs, face mask, got into bed, clean sheets, woke up. I felt like a princess. I felt like sort of like an emperor waking up in this sort of huge, great, massive sort of four-poster bed looking out. I was like, yep, I'm queen of the world and I can do anything.
1: I mean, what a way to start the year. Maybe that's why you've stuck to all your goals there. Do you know what I mean? Because it's also, you know, I think I had a real interesting conversation with myself about what it really was that I wanted to do at New Year's Eve and how I wanted to wake up on the 1st of January. And actually that decision was sort of taken from underneath my feet when my plane on the 30th of uh, December hovered above Ibiza and didn't land because of the fog and then diverted to Palma and we were told the next day that we were going nowhere basically for a few days Ibiza Airport was shut and it was like right here we are we're in a five star hotel in the middle of Palmer Palmer Port and my quiet New Year's Eve and dinner for two at an early night turned into yeah obviously going on a night on the town which was not what I had planned but actually we really didn't overdo it and um, quite the opposite we kind of avoided the crazy places and and had a pretty quiet one and I woke up on the first feeling amazing and that is exactly when I decided to just to stop drinking for a while and um, I feel like yeah, you know, the last three weeks have just been full of clarity and, and not quite the emperor in uh, his new clothes. I don't know the euphemism there or the, uh, <laughs> the implied possibility that you were okay, completely naked.
0: <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I missed that. <laughs> I do love that fable. It's one of my favourites, actually, from childhood. Yeah, it's a good one. I like it. I mean, there's so many different versions of it. Going back to, though, what you just said about the fact that you woke up refreshed and you've you decided then not to drink. That's massive. And just by doing that for one day, you're showing yourself just how strong and capable you are. But if you can do that, you can do anything. Whether or not it's a conscious thought or an unconscious thought, that's already started for reprogramming, for making sure that everything then starts to happen after that.
1: It's just committing to yourself, you know, when you when you keep telling yourself you're gonna do something and then you don't do it, it is massively um, undermining I think for your self-confidence and your sense of self-worth essentially that's what it boils down to because there's only one person as we all know that we're, we're not you know letting down essentially and observing yourself go through the same pattern and not you know sticking to what it was that you wanted to achieve is, is deeply frustrated if you feel like you can't if you don't have power over that you know. And when you finally get to the point after many years of trying to do something and finally it all falls into place without that much effort then maybe that was the actual moment that you really decided you wanted it because actually if you wanted it that much prior to that moment you would have done it right or you would have been able to actually achieve it but I think also let's not forget we've just had two years of uh, extreme turbulence and you know that plane ride has not been terribly pleasant for lots of people in lots of different ways, and I and I think you know I think I feel like I fully sort of disembarked just before Christmas, and I and I really had some good rest over Christmas and and some time out and some very nourishing time, and I felt very very grounded, uh, probably because I wasn't in Ibiza. <laughs> there was also that surrounded by family, not mine, my, my boyfriend's, but I feel like. That really helps everything, to have good people around you and for you to feel really safe and nurtured and nourished and kind of in the family bosom. And it does give you these kind of wings, I think, to kind of
0: feel like you can do anything. Totally. Totally. You've got to know that you've got to believe, have the people around you. Connection, community is, is so important. Because if... if was, uh, there's the saying, isn't it, that you can't raise a child, it takes a village to raise a child. But I think it takes a, a village to raise a human. I mean, we all need places we can fall back on. We need to know that we can try things and fall down, and that someone's going to help pick us back up. Yeah, we're social. I mean, if we look at children, and before they do anything, they'll look over to check where mum and dad are and, you know, okay, if I'm going to do something dangerous are you close enough to catch me if I fall or, you know, can you put the fire out what if it that gets that out of God control, type of do? thing I thought it looked so sweet I stood around for the hills beating a retreat and when I heard you talking with that alluring sound should I recall the sirens
1: and how that but
0: when and we don't breaks. have that, when we don't mind.
1: have that I sense
0: of support, It's difficult, though. What do you you say? Where does the support stem from? Do you start by knowing that you can trust and rely on yourself and then you start trusting and relying on people? Or do you trust and rely on people around you to then believe in trusting and believing in yourself? Or is it symbiotic in the fact that you, you need both? What are your thoughts?
1: I think you need both. I think it's quite multifaceted. I don't think, you know... I think believing in yourself comes from... direct commitment to the relationships and the things you have around you and the results of those commitments sorry I do love I do love watching people when they come out of the water it is the most hilarious thing people's strategy for navigating themselves back into the fresh air half naked in the middle of winter look. Okay he's
0: prancing so, like also those um those Gymkhana horses on his toes bing 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 it's cold though have you done cold water swimming
1: I have and I, I think you know it's totally that time of year isn't it it's kind of almost sort of warm enough but it's very very cold when you get out and he is absolutely his clothes he's popped up obviously miles away from where he left his stuff and he's now trotting merrily down the beach um, in a
0: very unusual fashion. But he must be absolutely freezing cold and he's really styling it out quite impressively. Don't you find When I've arrived on it, it feels cold now, but after you've been in the water and this is what gets me on the New Year's dip here is that when I come out, the wind feels so warm because the water's so cold. So it's not, it's not as cold as we're feeling it. Does that make did, sense? Did the, uh, did the emperor go in on New Year's morning here? No, it was... Well, it was so foggy. (laughs) So, so foggy. I know. Yeah. Um, No, we were going to do one up in Kalilena, actually. We decided we'd try doing one up on... Set a a North North Island one up. Um, But, yeah, it was so foggy. There was no sun. I wasn't going to go in. I need the sun. If I'm going to go in water, it needs to be sunny when I get out. I don't know what happened at Salinas. I know there wasn't a big gathering because they couldn't provide... The food. There, there, there was actually there was a big gathering I saw the video
1: um on and I saw the photos on the Diario front page and the, the half of walking Ibiza all the guides were the people on the front page of Diario and Toby Clark posted that so he was very very happy to see his half-naked guides and his wife went in as well so hello Belinda if you're listening <laughs> I saw that saw that video of you on Instagram um so yeah I think um you know it's it's a beautiful thing that everyone gets together and does that as as you said like a big big old group and I've seen you know a lot of um a lot of videos again of people now suddenly going back to this cold water yeah. swimming thing that seemed to sort of start at the beginning of um 2019-ish but a couple of years ago people started to get really into it on the island
0: yeah there was a lot there are a lot of groups aren't there that go around and do the cold water swimming um and some just do the dips and some actually do proper sea swimming but it's I mean it feels fantastic. I tell you, I suffer from cold hands and feet every year. It's the I struggle to get them warm no matter what I've tried. But the only time I've not had that is after I've done the cold water swimming. And it's got to be eighteen minutes less than that and I still get cold hands and feet. But after that, yeah, I'm warm for the rest of the day. Toast toast on me. Well, I might try that next uh <laughs> next time I'm fresh out of
1: uh, of my toaster working. Um I think it would be interesting to hear, like, what what was it that made you move to Ibiza? Where are you from originally?
0: I'm from London, from Blackheath originally, and I moved to Ibiza. I moved to Ibiza because my sister was moving here. I, I've never been drawn to Ibiza at all. In fact, all I've known about it is the party side of it, and I'm not really into that scene very much, so... In fact, whenever anyone said Ibiza to me, and this is why you know, I was really close minded for many years, I was like, oh no, don't want to go there, well, no. I was living in Cyprus, my sister was living in Cyprus, my mum was there, I was a single parent of two, of under four. I had a four year old and a two year old. And my sister, in one July morning, um, announced that her and her partner were moving to Ibiza they'd been on holiday the year before I think she'd been and, and they'd come back complaining about how expensive it was, how busy it was so when she said she was moving to Ibiza I was just sort of like why are you doing that why? You know we're on a lovely island, well nice island, it's warm, it's hot It's you've got the freedom from like that, from the UK which is what she'd wanted Um and it was just, she was oh, well, and, you know, her partner wanted to get into the music scene. He likes music, and so that's what they decided to do. A couple of weeks later, she phoned me up and to tell me she was pregnant. So I was sort of like, OK, that's, you know, congratulations. Uh, are you still moving to Ibiza? Yeah, yeah, if we don't go before the baby's born, then, you know, we probably won't get off. We'll get stuck here, and I don't really want to have a baby here, bring it up, so I was sort of like, OK. And I felt a bit torn at that point because... Cyprus to Ibiza not an easy commute, um, and I wanted, you know, I wanted to be around her when she had a baby and my niece and nephew, whatever it was. <laughs> a week later, she phoned me up, and I was really hungover. I'd been at a friend's wedding the night before. I think I'd only been in bed a couple of hours anyway. The phone rang. I picked it up and saw it was my sister. So I answered, and she went, um, "Got some news." I was sort of like, "Oh, what's that?" I mean, you know, well, not in quite such a perky voice, but being, <laughs> I was quite hungover and not with it. It's twins, to which I just went, you're screwed. <laughs> Bless me, you know, good supportive older sister. But, it, you know, when I came round later on that day and when we sort of like came round to, to the news that it was twins, I realised that... My mum, you know, they were still moving. My mum was going to move with her, probably go and help her for, the, you know, while the babies were born. They were going to be in the country. They had no, you know, they weren't set up properly, didn't speak the language. And I thought about it. and I thought she's going to be gone for probably about a year, isn't she? And the idea of being stuck in Cyprus on my own with these two sort of like toddlers, pretty much, actually terrified me. So I started googling Ibiza. And I sort of thought about it and it looked all right. I've I've liked Spain. I've loved Barcelona. I've been to Barcelona and Mallorca several times and really liked them. And I'd wanted to come to Spain at some point. I just had never considered Ibiza. And when I thought about it, if I move over with my girls and my mum's there with her babies, uh, not my mum, my sister's there with her babies, it makes it easier for my mum. She's not then got grandchildren in different places and I knew it's important to her that she was present in her grandchildren's life, like properly present regularly so I kind of just sort of floated the idea to my sister and she said well it's up to you, can't really, you know whatever you want and that was in July and we were here in November and it just went so quickly Um, yeah, packed up the house two children, two cats and moved to an island I'd never been before And I got here and for about 14 days, I think I sat in shock, just sort of going, oh my good God, what have I done? I didn't have a door key. I didn't have a house key. I didn't have a home. I had a shipping container on its way across the Med with nowhere to put it um, and no business. I had to start from scratch again, but I felt like I was where I was meant to be. I, everywhere I drove I was being hit with deja vu with a sense of I, I've been here before or it was just very bizarre and yeah it's it's been the best experience ever best move it may have been impulsive spontaneous <laughs> without any research but it's worked for me it's worked for my children I've watched my girls just blossom and really come out of themselves and flourish
1: what do you think about this idea? I'm interested because I've got an episode coming up about exactly this topic about this idea of making those kinds
0: of decisions with absolutely
1: no research whatsoever.
0: Um, in my experience, those decisions, the ones I've made like that, have been the best ones. When it comes from the gut, when, it's just, when, you, when you just follow the calling, they're the ones, they're, they're like almost divine intervention decisions they're the ones that are going to change your life profoundly in some way or another and i think we yeah just go with it don't be scared just jump i remember telling myself over four months that it was going to be okay it was all going to be just fine it was going to be the best thing for me every time i had a wobble if i don't know where i'm moving to i don't know what's going on i don't know anyone it was like no it's all going to be just fine it's going to be just perfect it'll work out just as it is but there have been so many times I think. I've looked back recently actually over the last couple of years oh there's a tricycle going by and another naked man (laughs) oh it's all going down here today isn't it
1: (laughs) that's kind of why I wanted to record it here because I do love to watch the spectacle of Santilalia. and that guy
0: who was doing the cold water swimming is now going for a jog they're doing laps they're doing (laughs) laps for two of them (laughs) nice Um, but yeah going back to just sometimes we overthink too much you know when we when we have those those just gut instinct that just spontaneous decisions maybe that's when your intuition's really speaking to you
1: I I couldn't agree more and I think you always know deep down somewhere even if you can't actually find a deep you know a proper sense of reasoning about something you just have a feeling right and we all get those feelings and we often choose to ignore them because sometimes they're really terrifying but I think ultimately your body's reaction will tell you all you need to know and about whether or not you're willing to listen is the other part of the story I mean you know I think if you were so terrified that you know moving to Ibiza was going to be an utter utter disaster which you know could have happened um, and could have been a very real possibility but then when you think about what's the worst thing that could happen out of that scenario is that you just have to move back again and you've got to send your stuff back, it's
0: really not the end of the world, right? No. No, It was. it's not the end of the world. Nothing's really the end of the world, no matter whether or not the decision works or not. It's about giving it a go, and I think that's it. it what you were saying about, you know, following gut, I remember when I first got here, I got invited to work at an event um, by a friend, and I, as I was going up, I remember feeling like... Everything in me just fighting it, fighting, fighting. Going, I didn't want to go. I was sort of, like, I don't, I couldn't tell you. It was just a feeling in my gut, but I just wanted to go home. I didn't want to go. I, maybe we could call it. Maybe if I interpret it, it'd be lazy or whatever it was. But as I was driving up the Camino to the house, the villa where this event was going on, I was telling myself, I, I was actually coming up with a reason as to why I was going to leave. So that I could get out of the car, and I could instantly tell the the coordinator that I'm really sorry, got a problem with the girls. You know, there's a problem. One of my girls is sick. I I was coming up with something. I can't stay. I'm really, I'm going to have to go. I'm, I'm so sorry. Anyway, I got up, parked the car, got out. Before I could actually even start, so you know, with my reason as to why I couldn't be there, the coordinator came up. Brilliant. I'm glad you're here. So this is where you're going to be working. And I kind of was just. Yeah, there was no opportunity for me to go, actually, no, uh, I'm not staying, I don't want to. uh, But at that event, I met, it was actually being hosted by um, Lydia Kilmeling. It was the last night a DJ saved her life. So it was my first interaction, my first sort of like sighting, shall we say, of Lydia. But I also met another therapist there. And both of those meetings, I wouldn't be where I am today if I hadn't gone to that event. I don't think the therapist I met there got me and you know got me my first big job on the island with retreats and that kept me going for years and really helped to get my business going and the the coach that Lydia was actually who I ended up training and doing my life coaching training with and again I saw her from that day a couple of days you know around that time until I signed up to her. I saw her every other day or so around town. We'd always pass. I'd never spoken to her. I didn't speak to her at the event. I didn't speak to her. But we just would pass each other. And I sometimes think we've just got to overcome the fear. I suppose where I'm going with that is that, that sense in me was, I don't want to do that. Again, I think that's sometimes we try and hold ourselves back. Like, unconsciously, subconsciously, we will know that something's going to be good for us. You know, we are... Just, the ten percent of the iceberg that is you—you you know, you only you only know ten percent of it. There's a whole part out there that's got information that you just don't have the first idea about about yourself, about your future, about your, all of it. Um, and sometimes I think we do try and override that. So, yeah, is that it's the other one is feel the fear when you do take spontaneous feel the fear, feel into it, and whether or not you face it or whether or not like me you try and find a way of you know succumbing to it and just go yeah okay I'll go home trust that whatever happens is what's supposed to happen I mean I think this is where something I I see a lot is you know when you see people who trust in the process or trust in something bigger than themselves there's an there's a there's an air of Confidence and peace around them that you don't see in other people. And for me, that they're the people when you watch them, when crisis happens, when big things happen, they're able to navigate it gracefully. They're able, they don't get so easily thrown off.
1: I mean, I can totally, totally relate to that. And I think, you know, I was actually teaching yoga at that event for Lydia um, at the last night. A DJ saved my life. Which is an amazing charity that she was raising money for, and and actually gathering an amazing group of people together to, yeah, give talks and inspire other people that were there who obviously clearly wanted to make a change in their lives as well. So, it was a very interesting event, and you know, I I, I it's interesting for me because I think yoga teaching for some bizarre reason amongst also my previous career as a newsreader the same. I get the same feeling when I go now, or or have done for quite a few, pretty much for the entire 10 years I was teaching yoga, I just get really scared before I go and teach. It is like, it never came naturally to me, it's not something I could just walk out without feeling really deeply nervous and worried, and yeah, I mean I have obviously had some very bad experiences as a teacher, in 10 years of teaching You know, and throwing myself into some crazy situations like the main stage at Bestival, for example. I mean, that definitely didn't help the old fear stakes, not going to lie. But I felt, you know, when that came up as a possibility, the idea of getting on a stage and teaching yoga to, you know, quite a few thousand people, I mean, you know, wasn't something that I relished the prospect of, but I did it purely because I knew if I could do that, then I could do anything. And... I don't know if that's true, though, because I think when you feel that sense of fear and yeah, OK, fine, it worked out. And I did I did feel amazing for at least a good few months. But I don't think that overrode the next round of fear I had for the next fearful occasion for the next thing that I did. So I don't know how
0: many rounds of extremely terrifying things you need to do to be able to become bulletproof. How do you know that it didn't? How do you know that you wouldn't have been more scared that the things that came after that than you actually were because you'd done that i don't know
1: what the litmus test is for that we've got any bits of fear paper knocking around in the back in your back pocket maybe an old receipt that we could uh, lick and maybe stick to our solar plexus or something where the fear comes from see if it changes color oh yeah you've got you've got the fear you've got a sweaty breastbone my darling (laughs) that must be induced by fear <laughs>
0: definitely I, I think I mean I'm just I, I, I would say the same even after and i, I talk about this with my clients and with therapists a lot other therapists a lot so I, I mean as you know I'm a massage therapist for 17 years and even now before I treat a, a new client I I feel nervous I feel anxious I get sort of a bit shaky but I, I stumble over my words sometimes and I've been doing this for 17 years I know I'm good at what I do I know I can do what I do and it Over, you know, in the more recent future, so over the last five years, I've realised that it's not... Are these feelings, and, you know, whether or not you call it imposter syndrome or fear of actually... Are they fear of doing what you're doing? Or is it a fear of not serving the people that you're there to serve as well as you want to? Because I know with every new client, my nerves is that I'm not going to be able to help them as much as I want to be able to help them. It's not that I don't believe I can. It's just... I'm nervous but I want to do my best by them I take it as a sign now that I actually still care about what I do because if I go into a treatment and I don't care and I'm not a bit nervous and I'm not a bit anxious with a new client then actually maybe something's wrong I think that's not what mine
1: mine was actually I remember when I became a yoga teacher like 10 years ago I started to I went on like a vinyasa flow course and it was all very like yeah so you're going to map out your choreography you're going to make up a routine you're going to have it's going to be the left side you do this flow on that side then you're going to the right side you're going to do this flow on that side and about three months into trying to teach that type of yoga after I left the training I was like I can't remember all of this and it was like it was just ridiculous and that wasn't how I was trying to kind of practice before I did all of that so I suddenly came to the conclusion quite quickly that. I didn't need to have a plan and I could just trust myself to know and remember what was coming on both sides. And this sounds like really trivial. But from the beginning, you know, and the class would be like 90 minutes. So, of course, I, at the beginning, I started to practice things through. But we reached a point one day where I was like, I don't need to practice anymore. And sometimes it would work out unbelievably well. Like it'd be so perfectly timed to the music. It was like a dance routine. And other times, I would actually fall flat on my ass, And it happened to me a few times. So there was always this element of fear of like forgetting what was coming on the other side or not knowing what to do next. And obviously, I, as the years went by, the trust grew and I understood that I never needed to plan. And it's a bit like everything else I do do in my life, like the podcast course. I don't have like a written down, you know, module by module plan about how to teach it. It's something that comes organically depending on who's on the course and how it unfolds. And I think, again, it comes back to that trust. And I think, you know, as you get better at doing something and understanding that you have the tools on board to help the people you need to help to teach them what they need to learn, not everybody needs to learn the same things. So how can you write down one, you know, uh, one kind of type of of teaching when everybody needs different things?
0: Well, you can't. I mean, I think the short answer to that is you can't. But when we first start anything, we need guidelines. We need Steps to follow when we're first starting, so that we can build up the confidence in ourselves. It was the same when I came out of massage school. We had a like a, not a, a. It was a, a you know a cookie cutter massage. We followed a routine. I'd, I'd followed it to pass my exam, to pass my assessment, and when I first started, I followed that routine because I, I knew that it got everything in, and I didn't trust myself to remember. Now. I know I don't follow a routine but I trust myself to know that what's, what needs to be done will be done does that make sense and I think that's where where you're going is sort of like no we don't need a step by step but maybe at the beginning we do keep on looking you keep on searching keep on moving and you get a little further keep on trusting you keep on hoping keep on facing your face just to keep on growing just try try you just try
1: i think it's to do with linear and non-linear and having a structure and not having a structure and if, if any place on the planet is going to pull the structure out from underneath of you it definitely is this island and i think coming here was where I fully understood that it was okay not to have a plan. And so many teachers told me, oh, the worst teachers come to class, unprepared." Then I went on another 500-hour vinyasa flow, or it wasn't really a vinyasa, it was like less vinyasa, more flow. That was moving towards this area of like really feeling into the fascia rather than having a set routine. It was about massaging the fas- fascia through free flow rather than having this like structured, highly choreographed, situation but there was also elements of that still in there and it you know it was just unraveling unraveling and taking away all the layers of everything that i thought yoga teaching should be and i think that's bled over into all the other areas of my life which i love
0: but don't you think that's maybe where the thing is is it's where the way you, that you thought yoga teaching should be it's everything is Everybody's different. Everybody's individual. So for some people, having a step-by-step plan will be exactly what they need. For others, having a step-by-step plan will feel like too much pressure and they'll end up forgetting things because they're anxious about. Whereas if you leave them to just be in their flow, be in their moment, it it will naturally progress and everything will be done. So it's that teach the basics show people how to do the basics and allow people and I think this is you know whether or not old young children in every way allow people to then experiment and develop their own way I mean it's there's something my mother always says to me as you know is that as an artist you learn the techniques you learn how to do things properly before you start then experimenting and being creative so, and I think that's yeah. the same with cooking you, you learn a recipe you, you use a recipe first and then you start tweaking, then you start experimenting if that's the way you want to go you may just be the sort of person that just likes to throw it all in a pot and it will work out or maybe it won't
1: That's exactly, you just described my cooking technique there, for sure. The one-pot wonder, the one-pot wondrous, magical wonder that sometimes turns up as a blackened soup of, uh, yeah, charcoal. But, you know, for sure, again, is the trust thing. And we've talked about this a hell of a lot on this podcast of of getting to the point where, well, when, you know, when is that moment that you're going to start believing in yourself and the fact that it's all just going to be okay? And no matter whether it's a you know, a one pot wonder or a walk into the wilderness of a around the whole island where you don't know where you're going or whether it's a you know, taking a, a course like you did when you wanted to kind of transition from from what you were doing and, you know, to, to take a step in a in a different direction. And I think, you know, the best things come from from not knowing and being okay with not knowing how it's going to pan out
0: and just doing it anyway. Because otherwise you'll never find out. No, yeah, you've just got to do it. I read a really interesting post from a friend recently who said sort of like, if you had if if you could be given a roadmap or if you could give them given a plan of everything that's going to happen in your life or the challenges you're going to so that you can prepare for them, would you take that or would you choose the path that is just we'll deal with it as we go.
1: Yeah, i once went to see a magical, magical lady who's been on this podcast, Elaine Mary Collins, who did give me a little bit of a you know i had a big 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 decision to make and i really didn't know what to do and it was a bit do or die um and i did go to see her um and she did give me a reading and actually i you know i think it's very it's very difficult when someone kind of you know tells you what's coming up and what's around the corner and what's next and what you know what should be happening because then the expectation comes in and if it doesn't doesn't go in that particular direction then actually you feel a disappointed and then you start trying to force something to happen that may not have been about to happen and why you know why would we want to alter the path of our lives to push ourselves in a direction that might not have been meant for us and we only started to believe that it was because we knew you know what was what was coming up
0: someone had told us that it was we didn't know it's because someone's told us or it's an idea that we've been given that that's the way it should be well
1: it's a bit like getting married and having kids and buying a house and you know this is how we're told that our life should unfold but that's
0: definitely not (laughs) mine doesn't look like that at all no mine doesn't either (laughs) got the house and the kids but you know and the animals but that's it like dr doolittle dr doolittle what's the other one i actually felt more like pied piper the other day or um no dr doolittle likes them that's it Uh, My family and other animals Gerald Durrell and his life Did you ever read that as a little girl, as a kid Oh, it's a beautiful story He was brought up in Corfu And he literally spent his childhood Collecting animals and bugs And sort of lame things And bringing them back to the house And he just, yeah He had a a, It's where his, his, you know This all started with, you know, animals Gerald Duller animals You might have to edit that bit out Um And I often feel like that. I just look around the house and, you know, there's cats, dogs, snails. The girls have brought in pet snails or now they want fishes. And you just sort of think, oh, it's just so many things wanting things from me sometimes.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, boundaries are a wonderful and beautiful thing. Not with your children, of course, but well, maybe, maybe, maybe that is necessary. In later life. I mean, what, you know, what was the big thing? Like, you say that you kind of got into this retreat world and I, 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 you know, I've known you for a long time and I know that maybe that was an amazing thing for a long period of time, you know, it actually allowed you to be here and to survive and, to, you know, to like, to exist.
0: But what, you know, what was it about that lifestyle that maybe made you want something different? It wasn't about wanting something different it wasn't about wanting to change at the beginning it was really more about just wanting to be able to to do more for my clients to be able to support them more I'd started really picking up on what was going on in people's bodies energetically and emotionally I was starting to feel sort of sensations I'd feel nauseous and picking up strange you know thoughts in my mind and coming over Angry or sad, very suddenly, and realised that I was actually just picking up on what people were storing, whether or not it was from a trauma or from a thought, from a belief. And I've always, I've always been interested in why people do what they do, the way people think. I've always, you know, always want to be. Pe- I know why people do something. I'm a real why sort of person. Just why? why, why, why are you doing that? Why, why are you thinking that? Why are you being that way? And. It felt like a natural progression. I had the body work I'd trained and I was a Reiki master and I had all of that and now I needed to be able to work with the mind as well. It was not It was about getting into the brain and to understand what was going on in the brain and to help them gain a perspective or a different way of being that was going to help them get past the emotional things that they were holding on to and that was effectively causing them long-term physical um pain and physical discomfort and it, through that it, just the more I got into the coaching the more I got into coaching and talking to people and understanding the more I sort of started for me it started to feel like I'd found my calling and how does it feel to have found your calling amazing I I can't describe it in a few words but uh know that I'm helping people to know i found my purpose it just I go to bed satisfied every night I wake up excited and ready for the day ahead yeah just absolutely fantastic
1: like the emperor in his new clothes yeah just
0: like the emperor in his new clothes <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that kind of feels like a, a, a good place to finish with the, the that wonderful vision of people imagine you running around Santillalia half naked with your purpose of course
0: Of course, with my purpose, yes, and um, always have my hands and my feet covered up. (laughs) Like
1: any good respectable citizen should.
0: Yes, staying warm, more than anything.
1: (laughs) With your imaginary cloak.
0: Yeah, the imaginary cloak, but my real socks and gloves. And
1: your absolutely bulletproof wings.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Elizabeth,
1: thank you so much for making the time to pop down and get our little tootsies in the sand and the sunshine of this wonderful wonderful weather we're having it's been a yeah it's been really lovely to to hear the full story
0: thank you so much for inviting me it's been such good fun chatting to you and just sharing sharing my journey with you and yeah thank you for popping my podcast cherry
1: it's been a it's been an absolute pleasure and um, it all began with carrots and very expensive eggs
0: yes it did
1: (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much